Welcome to today's podcast with Crosspoint Church, where we share the gospel and we share our lives. With so many fun and new exciting things going on at church, we want you to be in the loop. So make sure that you check out our Facebook page and that you check out our website at www.crosspointwaverly.com. And now for today's message. Well, how many are glad that you've come to church this morning? Woo! Well, I'm glad that you're glad, and I'm glad that you're here joining us. And for those of you who are joining us online, I'm telling you, I believe God wants to speak to your heart today, and so I'm glad you're here. Last week was Memorial Day weekend, and if you missed it, I would encourage you to watch online at crosspointwaverly.com or YouTube or find us on Facebook or listen on Spotify. We looked at how Joshua in chapter 4 talked about memorials that point people to God. In Joshua chapter 4, the Israelites were led across the, uh, the Jordan River on dry ground into the promised land. And Joshua instructed them to grab 12 rocks out of the midst of this dry river and set it on the other side as a memorial uh, to commemorate that moment. And he says, when your children ask you, what are these stones for? What is this a memorial of? You are to tell them of the day where God showed up in a miraculous and powerful way and parted the Jordan River and you crossed over on dry ground. And so uh, he gets to, they get to tell of them how God miraculously parted it and they crossed over into the promised land and that that memorial would serve as a mighty would serve this memorial will serve as a reminder that we serve a mighty and powerful God and how many know that even today we serve a mighty and a powerful God amen amen man y'all are ready for this this morning so this morning we're going to pick up where I left off in Joshua chapter 4 last week. At the end of Joshua chapter 4, God delivers the Israelites into the promised land. And when you think about the promised land, maybe some of you think of, oh, well, it was like they entered into heaven. And can I just tell you that the promised land was not a life of luxury and leisure for them. In fact, we're going to read what happens in Joshua chapter 5 this morning as they cross over into the promised land. If we go back into the recent history of Israel, we know that they were enslaved in Egypt. God miraculously delivered them out of the hands of the Egyptians. It parted the Red Sea. They crossed over that and on dry ground. And so you're going to see some similarities of those stories. So Moses led the Israelites out of Egypt across the Red Sea, the parting of the Red Sea, and, uh, and del the deliverance from the Egyptians. And then Joshua is tagged in because of Moses' disobedience and the Israelites' disobedience. Moses isn't going to get to go into the promised land. And so now it's Joshua's turn to lead the Israelites. They cross over the Jordan River, not escaping from something, but now, uh, now going to something, the promise that God had for them, and Joshua led them. And after the deliverance, they, Moses and the Israelites wandered in the desert for 40 years. And I cannot imagine wandering anywhere for 40 years, much less in the desert. I can't imagine waking up in the morning and somebody going, hey, so what are we going to do today? Well, we're going to do the same thing we did yesterday. And we're going to do the same thing that we've done for the last umpteen days out here in the desert. We're going to collect some manna, except for on the Sabbath, and we're going to eat it, and we're going to wander, and that's what we're going to do. How demoralizing. And in Joshua chapter 3 and 4, the Israelites have crossed over the Jordan, and now they're in Gilgal. They erect this memorial of 12 stones, and they find themselves in this new land with new life. They've, they're across and have arrived miraculously, and now what? What do you do after this supernatural, miraculous moment? 
they had just spent the last 40 years anticipating this moment, and now it's happened. So now what? Well, we looked at a passage in Numbers last week that said, who would and who wouldn't enter into the promised land. And I'm going to read it for us again this morning. Numbers chapter 32, as you're taking notes, verse number 11, it says, Surely none of the men who came out of Egypt from 20 years old and upward shall see the land I swore to give to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, because they have not wholly followed me. None except Caleb and Joshua, for they have wholly followed the Lord. Let's pray this morning. God, we thank you so much for your word and for the power that it has to transform our lives. We ask that over the next few moments that we would sense a demonstration of your spirit's power. Would you make your word come alive to us? Open up our ears to hear, our hearts to receive, and our minds to understand. In Jesus' name, amen. So as we read this passage in Numbers chapter 32, we see that not everybody's going to make it into the promised land. Just Joshua and Caleb and those under the age of 20. And so think about this. A generation had to die out before they could cross over into the promised land. Can you imagine going to bed at night wondering who was going to pass that night and in the morning if that person passed? Can you imagine being the last one of that generation? Right? Like the instructions are clear. No one except for Joshua and Caleb and those under 20 at that moment are entering into the promised land. So it'd be pretty easy to identify those who are going and those who aren't. And you know if you're the last one that you are the only thing standing in the way of people going from wandering into their promised land. Like, I don't want to be that person. Uh, you know, like you're scared to look at somebody because you're scared they're going to off you because they're just done with the wandering deal. So they get to the point where the last person dies, they cross over the river, and they build this memorial. And if you've never read or heard what happens right after this supernatural moment, get ready, hold on to your seats. Okay? But before we talk about what happens in Joshua chapter 5, after the Jordan River has crossed and you've had this miraculous moment, let's look at Joshua chapter 5, verse number 1 and verse number 1. It's just a long verse, so I thought for sure it's longer than one verse. No, it's not, so thanks for laughing. And as soon as all the kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan to the west and all the kings of the Canaanites who were by the sea heard that the Lord had dried up the waters of the Jordan for the people of Israel until they had crossed over, their hearts melted and there was no longer any spirit in them because of the people of Israel. I love this verse. I love that last line, there was no spirit to fight left in them because when we heard about what God did miraculously, and it's very reminiscent of Joshua chapter 2, which we talked about last week, where the spies go into Rahab's house. And Rahab hides them and she says, this is what we've heard God did for you. We heard that he parted the Red Sea. That you walked across on dry ground. We heard of the armies that were slayed. God did that for you. And when we heard of these things, our hearts melted and there was no spirit left in us. And I just love in Joshua chapter 5, verse number 1, now it's the same testimony but from a different person. There was no fight left in them. And so some of you are like, well, what in the world happened to the Israelites in Joshua chapter 5, right after this miraculous miracle of the Jordan River being parted, well, Joshua chapter 5, 2 through 9, tells us that all of the men were circumcised. That was a very bad day to be a man. 
And so what do you do after wandering in the desert for 40 years? Can you imagine if somebody says, what was the first thing that happened after you got to the promised land? Well, they sharpened up some flint knives and we celebrated by being circumcised. Right? I'm not trying to be crass. I'm just telling you what happened in this passage right here. I would be saying, thank you, Lord, that your presence was with me then and that your presence is with me now. In the Old Testament, circumcision was an outward sign of the membership of the people of God. I'm so grateful today that we do public water baptisms, right? I mean, let's just go there. We want to go public with our faith. It's a whole lot less painful. You're without excuse. If you've not been water baptized, let's go public with your faith. Let Pastor Dan know. We'll get you scheduled to get baptized any Sunday. So uh, circumcision began with Abraham in Genesis chapter 17, and God said that this would be a sign of the covenant between God and man. And he instructs them by the time they're eight years old that they should be circumcised. And the reality is, is that the reason why the Israelites wandered in the desert for 40 years was because of their disobedience. And so if you want to uh, see a lesson on insanity, just read about the Israelites. And so here's what it looks like. Uh, a time of favor and celebration, a time of sin and walking away, a time of punishment, uh, repentance, forgiveness, a time of celebration and favor, a time of, well, let's... Create the same mistake that we did before, and let's be dumb, and then uh, a time of repentance. You just see this cycle of insanity take place with them. And so the reason why they're in the desert for 40 years is because of their disobedience, and the disobedience continued. And this had to be a very painful day that many of these men would remember for the rest of their lives. How in the world could they forget that day? And some of you might think, well, how cruel. But here's the reality. If they would have done what God told them to do, along the way and continued with the practices that God had instructed them, they never would have, number one, wandered in the desert for 40 years, and they would have never had to have this really, 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 really bad day. Now, they would share stories like you share with your kids or grandkids, but their bad day story would be far worse than yours. I walked to school in the snow barefoot uphill both ways. Like their day is much worse than that. And so often with our lives, if we would just walk in obedience to God daily and do the things along the way that he's asked us, then it wouldn't be so painful and we wouldn't have to pay a bigger price later. There's a cost to sin and there are consequences. And so we come back to this bigger picture of what has and is happening. We see this theme throughout the Bible and especially in the book of Joshua that when the presence of the Lord is with people, there is nothing impossible or beyond imagination. There is nothing impossible or beyond imagination. And so last week when we talk about the Jordan River parting, the priest stepped into the water. That is beyond imagination and impossible, but yet the presence and the power of God walked with them. They stepped in and the river parted. It was a creative miracle. And some of you might be like, well, if God can part the Jordan River and do that miraculously, then why couldn't he do a solid for the men and do something miraculous there. And so I'm glad you asked the question. I asked the same question of Pastor Gary this week. He pastors Berean Assembly in Des Moines. He's the founding pastor of our church. And, uh, and so I called him and I said, talk to me about this passage and about this. And he said that he heard someone say one time that God will do what we can't do, but won't do what we can do. God will do what we can't do, but won't do what we can do. So the Israelite men clearly couldn't part the Jordan River. Like, it's impossibility for them. God could do that, but they could be circumcised. And so uh, the, 
the marker of that pain would remind them that they belong to God for the rest of their lives. And so we need the presence and the power of God. Amen? Moses knew the power and the benefit of the presence and the power of God in his life. Before crossing over into the, before crossing the Red Sea, he told the Israelites in Exodus chapter 14, verse number 13, he says to the people, fear not, stand firm, and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians who you see today, you shall never see again. The Lord will fight for you, and you only have to be silent. What a man of faith to be standing at the impasse of the Red Sea, no bridge, no ferry to cross over, and instead telling the Israelites, God's going to miraculously deliver you. The Egyptians that you see today that are following behind you, you'll never see again. You don't have to worry about them. It was beyond imagination and impossible. But yet in Exodus chapter 33, verse number 12, Moses says to the Lord, see you say to me, bring up this people, but you've not let me know whom you will send with me. Yet you have said, I know you by name, and you have also found favor in my sight. Now, therefore, if I have found favor in your sight, please show me now your ways that I may know you in order to find favor in your sight. Consider, too, that this nation is your people. And he said, my presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. And he said to him, Moses says, if your presence not go with me, do not bring us up from here. For how shall it be known that I have found favor in your sight, I and your people, is it not in your going with us so that we are distinct, I and your people from every other people on the face of the earth? And the Lord said to Moses, this very thing that you have spoken I will do, for you have found favor in my sight, and I know you by name. Moses said, please show me your glory. And he said, I'll make all my goodness pass before you and will proclaim before you my name, the Lord, and I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious and will show mercy on whom I shall show mercy." Moses starts out by saying, God, you have spoken, and in your speaking, you have given me a glimpse, you've given me a snapshot, but you've not given me the full itinerary, and you've not given me the guest list. And he says, God, if, if I have found favor in your sight, please show me your ways. And Moses, knowing intimately of the power of the presence of God, said, I don't want to go anywhere without you leading me and without you coming with. He said, God, if your presence is not going with us, then don't bring us up from here. And he said, how will it be known that I and your people have found favor? And Moses said, it's your presence, God, going with us that will make us distinct. And I'll just tell you this morning that his presence going with us is still what makes us distinct as followers of Jesus. Amen? Verse number 17, God answers Moses' prayer back, and he says, you have found favor in my sight, and my presence will go with you. And after this, Moses prayed, God, show me your glory. God, show me your glory. And I think both of these requests are appropriate for us as followers of Jesus. God, I don't want to go to school. I don't want to go to work. I don't want to go to the grocery store. I don't want to go overseas. I don't want to go across the street. I don't even want to go to church without your presence. And secondly, Moses prayed, show me your glory. God, show us your supernatural glory. And with that, no matter how much you show us and no matter how much we experience, may it never be enough. May it ignite an insatiable hunger that leaves us wanting more. I talked about last week how our greatest spiritual moment shouldn't be from decades ago. It shouldn't be from months ago. It should be from moments ago. 
This past week, I was working on my boat and beyond frustrated, and I don't know if you've ever had those moments where you know you've hit your limit, and I hit my limit that day. And there are all kinds of things that I could have done, matches, gasoline. I mean, you get the picture. Like, that's where I was. That's where I was at. I'm just kidding. Like, I know it's being recorded. Don't show it to my insurance, man. Uh, it's, it's just a joke. But I was just beyond frustrated. And so I got in my truck, and I just blasted some worship music, and I just had some time with Jesus. And I just want to tell you, it was a powerful time. Out of a moment of disappointment and, uh, and frustration, to not turn to something else, but instead just turn to the power and the presence of Jesus was powerful for my life. And I just want to encourage you, in times of celebration, like turn to the power and the presence of Jesus. In times of frustration, turn to the power and the presence of Jesus. And so we see in this book of Joshua that the baton was passed from Moses to Joshua to lead people into the promised land. And God makes the same promise to Joshua that he made to Moses that he would go with him and that his presence would go with him. And so in Joshua chapter 1, verse number 5, we see God say the same words to Joshua that he said to Moses. He said, no man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I was with Moses, so I'll be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. Be strong and courageous, for you shall cause this people to inherit the land I swore to their fathers to give to them. Only be strong and very courageous, being careful to do accordingly to, the, uh, to all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. God tells Joshua that he would go with him. And God's manifest presence accompanies those who advance towards his kingdom according to his will. In other words, as we walk in obedience to God and his plan, he shows up. And God shows up in impossible and beyond imaginative ways. In the same way that God told Moses that he would be with him and he told Joshua that he would be with us, he has given us those same words that he would also be with us. And some of you might be thinking as you think about moments in your life, well, that's great that God was with Moses. That's great that God was with Joshua, but I want him to be with me. Well, Matthew chapter 28, Jesus says to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always. Behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. I'm grateful that the presence of God goes with us everywhere. Now in Joshua chapter 5, verse number 10 it says, while the people of Israel were encamped at Gilgal, they kept the Passover on the 14th day of the month in the evening on the plains of Jericho. And the day after the Passover, on that very day, they ate of the produce of the land unleavened cakes and parched grain. And the manna ceased the day after they ate of the produce of the land. And there was no longer manna for the people of Israel, but they ate of the fruit of the land of Canaan that year. One of the things that you'll remember about this time frame for the Israelites as they wandered for 40 years is that God provided food for them miraculously called manna. And so they were collected each day except for the Sabbath. And so now as they enter into this new land, what in the world are they going to eat? The Lord had provided meals for them for 40 years and miraculously delivers them into the promised land. And it says that on the day after the Passover, they ate of the produce of the land, unleavened cakes and parched grain. And Joshua records that the manna ceased that day, but it didn't cease because the Lord stopped being generous. It ceased because they no longer needed the supernatural provision of food by the Lord. Instead, they had entered into the promised land, the land flowing with milk and honey, and so now they're able to eat of the abundance of the land. 
The manna stopped, but God's provision did not. His provision changed, but his provision continued. And so you have this crossroads where they've been miraculously provided for in their daily meal delivery system for 40 years, which was a continual miracle. Week after week, day after day, God provided for them. And if it wasn't for his supernatural provision, they would have starved. So now they have this natural miracle where the Jordan River parts. And so what do you do after this miracle? What do you do after the manna stops? Well, they still needed to continue to have the presence of God go with them. The power, presence, protection, and provision of God continued, and they would need it for what lay ahead. And how many know that we need the power, presence, protection, and provision of God even today? And so when the presence of God goes with us, there is nothing impossible or beyond imagination. I hope that you hear that this morning. I hope that it settles into your spirit today, that when you walk in the power and the presence of God, there is nothing impossible and nothing beyond imagination. In Joshua chapter 6, the Israelites are about to encounter a city that's fortified. No one's coming in and no one's going out of it. It's heavily fortified with thick walls. And when God tells Joshua that he's going to give them the city, some of you can already think of the militaristic ways that it's going to happen. You think of the natural ways that it would happen, but none of those are how it happened and how it's recorded in Joshua chapter 6, verse number 1. These are the instructions that were given. Now Jericho was shut up inside and outside because of the people of Israel. No one went out. No one came in. And the Lord said to Joshua, See, I have given Jericho into your hand with its king and mighty men of valor. You shall march around the city, all the men of war going around the city once. Thus you shall do for six days. Seven priests shall bear seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark. And on the seventh day you shall march around the city seven times, and the priests shall blow the trumpets. And when they make a long blast with the ram's horn, when you hear the sound of the trumpet, then all the people shall shout with a great shout, and the wall of the city will fall down flat, and the people shall go up, everyone straight before him. So God tells Joshua that he's going to give him the city, and that all they need to do is just march around the city, sound the trumpet, and shout. Is that what you had in mind when you first thought? that they would take over the city. But Joshua knows that God is fighting his battles and his friends know that they don't have to fight. They just have to walk around in the circles because there's an unseen force doing the heavy lifting. And so they march around the city this first day. The army marches around it. And you have to know that the citizens of Jericho are like, what are they doing? You know, they're marching around. Y'all go on and look at the wall. There's no weak spots here. We fortified it. We knew, we knew you were coming. So go on and walk around it. You're not going to find anything. And imagine this going on for days. Their obedience to God looked strange to others, but as they walked in obedience to him, God showed up in a miraculous and powerful way. And so they march around the city walls for six days as instructed by God. And Joshua chapter 6 records all of these details. You can read it on your own. And on the seventh day, they rose early they marched around the city seven times, and after the seventh time, the priest blew the trumpet. And in verse number 16, Joshua said to the people, Shout, for the Lord has given you the city. And all of a sudden, with that, the walls of the city come crumbling down, and they, uh, 
they're victorious over, uh, over Jericho. And there's a side note. We talked about Rahab last week, Joshua chapter 2, how she hid the spies. And the spies said, because you protected us, we'll protect your family. This is going to happen. And when it happens, make sure that your family is in this location and you'll be spared. And just to circle back on that, if you read Joshua chapter 6, you'll see that her family was spared. And so when we walk in the power and the presence of the Lord, there is nothing impossible or beyond imagination. And so I ask this morning, what are the strongholds in your life that need to be broken? Trust in and walk in the power of God. This week I talked to Jay Reisner, missionary to Africa. He spoke at our church a little over a year ago. And he shared with me the story that uh, one day there were 15 men trying to cut the bars of the windows of their house. And at 3 o'clock in the morning, an alarm goes off. These men had killed and broken into, they'd broken into a number of homes in the neighborhood in the weeks before, and they had uh, killed and beat up people. And so when they hear the alarm of their house going off, then they run upstairs and they huddle together as a family. And so they're huddled up waiting for these men to come up and beat them up or, uh, or to kill them. And he said, Nothing ever happened. He said the commotion stopped outside, and so eventually he walked downstairs, and he saw the guard to his house, and the guard was bloodied and beaten up, and he said to the guard, what happened? And he said, these men came, and he said, I sounded the alarm, and they beat me up, but I escaped to the bush, and so had he not escaped to the bush, they would have killed him. And so they do a walk around the house, and they get to this big bay window where they have bars Uh, as a protection and a barrier uh, to the inside of their house. And these men had come with cutters and they had uh, broken two of the bars. And as they looked at the third bar in this window, they could see where they had tried to cut on it. There were marks on there. And he looks through the window of his house and he sees these muddy footprints where they had put a kid through the window and into the house. And so they realized what had happened is that the blade had snapped on the cutter and they weren't able to finish the job. The family was spared. A few weeks later, Jay gets this letter from a family in Indianapolis, Indiana. And Jay had preached at this church some time back and handed out prayer cards, which is just like a business card with a picture of their family on the front with some information on the back. And in that service, there was a nine and a half year old boy who heard Jay's story and he took three prayer cards and he put one in his backpack and he put one at his house and he had one at his school. And each night the family would gather together and they would pray for the Reisner family. One day this nine and a half year old boy comes home from school and he says, mom, we need to pray for the Reisners. And she said, son, we pray for the Reisners every single night. And she said, but we need to pray for them special today. And she said, well, your dad gets home at 7 o'clock. We'll pray then. Can I just tell you something? Like if your kid is begging you to pray, go ahead and pray now and later, okay? That's, that's just free. So I don't know why they didn't pray then uh, and at 7 o'clock at night when the dad got home. But anyway, I just want to encourage you. Like moms, you can pray without the dads being there. Dads, you can pray without the moms being there. And so let's pray now and let's pray later. 7 o'clock, the dad comes home. And they pray for the Reisner family. Dad prays, and mom prays, and the brother prays, and it gets to this little boy. And he says, God, please protect the Reisners from behind the bars. They say amen. The mom looks at this little boy, confused, and she said, son, when you said pray, when you said protect the Reisners from the bars, are you talking about like the place where people go to dance and drink alcohol? And he says, no, mom. 
I was at school today and I must have fallen asleep for a moment and I saw the Reisners behind these bars and these men trying to get into their house to attack them. And so Jay's reading this letter and he's seeing the date on the letter and he's seeing the time at 7 p.m. And he says, when the alarm sounded at our house, it was three o'clock in the morning and three o'clock in Nairobi, Kenya is seven o'clock in Indianapolis, Indiana. Come on, can I tell you that when we walk in the power and the presence of God, there is nothing impossible and nothing beyond imagination. God was faithful to the Israelites and he's faithful to us and he's going to continue to be faithful to us and to the next generation. What are the strongholds in your life that need to be broken? What are the miracles that you need in your life? Trust in and walk in the power and the presence of God. There's this passage in the Old Testament where Moses is holding a staff and God says, what's that in your hand? And he says, it's a staff. And he says, throw it down to the ground. And he throws his staff onto the ground and it turns into a snake. And Moses did what I would do. It says he ran away from the snake. That's smart. And God says, bend down and pick it up. And I would be like, God, can you turn it back into a staff first? But Moses bends down and picks up the tail and it turns back into a staff. And so an ordinary item became a demonstration of the power of God that day. When we take what we have, no matter how ordinary, God can use it to break strongholds. The Israelites used their bodies. They walked, they marched around the walls of Jericho. The priests sounded the trumpets. The Israelites raised a shout with their voices and something ordinary became an instrument of God to break down strongholds. So this morning, what's in your hand? What do you have that when you walk in the power and the presence of God can be used to break down strongholds? In every season, God is with us. As we look at the history of the Israelites, we see the power and the presence of God in their lives. Now we're entered into a new season in our lives right now called summer. Somebody say hallelujah. It's here. It was hot yesterday. And some of you complained. And I'll just tell you, God bless summer. He was with us in the winter. He was with us in the spring. And now he's with us in the summer. His presence is with us. I was talking to PG this week about this message, and he said the summertime is a memorial time for kids. So his words of encouragement for all of us is as you take your kids on vacation this summer, take the power and the presence of God with you. Create some spiritual memories with your kids. Don't forget God while you're on vacation. Instead, uh, do something significant to create spiritual memories with them. Let this summer be a time where we're strategic and investing in our relationship with God. So how are you gonna take God with you this summer? What are the strongholds that are gonna be broken in your life as the power and the presence of God is demonstrated? I'm gonna ask that you bow your heads and close your eyes all across this room. Maybe there are some of you who've come in today and you don't have a relationship with Jesus. You've never asked him to be your Lord and Savior and you say, today, I wanna enter into a relationship with him. Maybe there are others of you who at one time walked with God, but you've turned your back on him. And you say, today I need to see my relationship restored back to him. In just a moment, with every head bowed and every eye closed, if you say, that's me, I need to ask Jesus to come into my life for the very first time. Or you say, I need to see my relationship restored back to him. When I count to three, why don't you slip up your hands all across this room. One, two, three. Lift them up all across this room. 
One, two, you can put them down. Are there others this morning? Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, God. Let's stand all across this room. There were at least two hands that went up this morning of people who need to ask Jesus to come into their life for the very first time or who need to see their relationship restored back to him. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to lead us in a prayer. And if you raise your hand, I want you to repeat it after me and mean it with everything that's within you. But know that you won't be praying this prayer alone, but that each of us in support of you will also be praying this morning. Let's pray. Say, dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for sending your son Jesus to die on the cross for me. I admit that I'm a sinner. I admit that I messed up. This morning I ask for your forgiveness. Come and give me a fresh start. Be my savior. Be my king. Take over every area. Take over every aspect. And help me from this day forward to live for you with all of my heart, with all of my soul, with all of my mind with all of my strength. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's give God praise for what he's done this morning. Thanks for joining us. We hope that this message was inspiring and encouraging. For more information about this message or about all things Crosspoint, check out our Facebook and head to our website at www.crosspointwaverly.com.